Hey everybody, this is Jordan. Uh, there was a problem last week. I ran into some technical difficulties and in the process of editing the show, I uh, lost all the uh, the editing I had done and I was really aggravated and it was late at night and so the podcast didn't come out last week. But I do have the podcast from last week, so I'm just going to put it up this week now that I've re-edited it. Um, but I just wanted to let you know. So so they're gonna we're going to be talking about things as though it were last week, uh, but it's really, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, it is this week, don't worry, but you know what I'm saying. We, this is also for recorded last week, so thank you very much. Bye-bye. One, two. And as the wax flows over your body, I hope you realize you look beautiful. And if it acts as a sort of odd eternal torture, I think it's worth it still. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and this is very exciting. It's good to have everybody here, continuing our, our unbroken streak of new podcasts every week. Very exciting stuff. Leading up to the grand finale of the current phase of Cast and Wax. We're going to figure out what we're going to do afterwards, but don't worry about that. We've got 10 episodes left. This is episode, you know, counting down 10. I mean, including the last one as one. Uh, you know what I'm saying. So 10 episodes left. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. So thank you all for listening. Uh, as always, I have my four, my three co-hosts. There are four of us total here with me and let me introduce them right now this here is mr frank allen hello thank you finally back to my first introduction spot uh thank you very much my name is frank allen i am a host of a few of the shows we have here today uh so it's good to be on the podcast it's good to be on the podcast um as you probably know i've recently uh, a few weeks ago quit my job so i am still currently looking for a job as a professional host in some sort of media uh, organization either you know an interviewer or a news reporter anything like that so please uh, you'll see some demonstrations of my work today, I'm sure. Give me a, a call, drop me a line. You can email me at castandwax at gmail.com, and that should be exciting. Yes, yes, of course. Now, Frank, uh, before this, though, before you, you quit your job, you had a you had a kind of a high-paying job. No, no, no. No, no, but it was it was a good job. It was a it was a uh, very respectable job. Well, okay, we don't have to go into that. I'm just, no, I'm just saying, you did, this is not something you did lightly. You, you took, you gave up a very good job yeah. at McDonald's. Okay, thanks. To pursue this dream, and that's, you know, I guess uh, laudable. So, I just wanted to mention Well, that. thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. So, yes, but please get in touch with me. I do appreciate it. Also over here, we have Mr. Scape White, my cat. Um, Scape, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm just basically chilling out and resting, having some nap times, basically, uh, doing a little snoozy snooze. Well, don't, don't sleep during the podcast again. Well, Dad, this is an episode that doesn't have any Scapey sections, so maybe I would sleep. You got, you're going to be singing songs? There's, there's, you're, there's stuff for you to do. Don't fall asleep. But don't do a boring podcast. Scape, why don't do a boring podcast? Why would you? People are listening to this. They're not, you don't want to say that it's going to be boring. They're you're a jerk. Well done. I'm just calling it. Well, don't call it. <sighs> anyway, how are things going with you? You're, now, you're enrolled in rock school, as everybody knows. Have you worked on your song at all? Your ballad? You have to do a ballad this month. Oh, uh, no, no, I didn't. I, I will do it, though. Well, Scape, it's due next week, isn't it? I mean, you don't want to leave everything for the last minute. Something could go wrong, you know? It's it's good to get ahead on these things. Okay, Dad, whatever. Who's, who's the one in rock school? Who's the one getting A's? A-minuses. Well, I'm, I got... On average, but look, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll do it next week. What's the problem? I'm just saying it's due, what, February 3rd? I mean, you know, that's that's like a week and a half from now. I'll do, Dad, I'll do it. Come on. 
This is stupid. You're giving me a pressure. I don't want pressure. I want to be free to create and and enjoy it. Well, I, okay. Do it. You, it's your, you know, it's your grade. Dad, it is my grade. I get good grades. You say so. I say so. All right. I'm um, fine. Fine. At, at any rate, we do have one more. Uh, host here, which is uh, Mr. Rory Sinjin. Rory, how are you doing? Thank you very much, Jordan. I'm doing quite well. Um, those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast, you'll know who I am. I'm, as he said, Rory Sinjin. I am the president, founder, and CEO of the Queen's Institute for Extra Historical Society, which does not stand for the Queen's, as in belonging to the Queen, but rather it's in Queen's, New York. Even though I am British, I'm not actually British. I'm American, but I was, you know, at one point in my life British. The point is, yes, I am an extra historian. That is a, a very special field of study in which we study, you know, the past in both our universe and other universes, also the future in, in other universes and in our universe as well. And, um, you know... Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I, I don't know why you say that. It's true. Yeah, you don't study the future. Nobody nobody studies the future. Well, I do study... The, first of all, there are futurists who study the future. They try to get to what the future is going to be in their minds. They, just, look, you you don't know anything about the future. You don't know anything about the past either, really. I, I do. I, I've, had, I've done a number of things about the past. Yeah, but you don't know it like a like a real historian would know it. You make stuff up. You don't, and you, and you definitely don't know the future. The future doesn't happen yet, and the future is still unfixed. You know, it, it's fluid. That's preposterous, actually, Mister Allen. The future is fixed in this universe. It's in other universes. You, you're, what, you're, what you're getting confused about is I, I can see where your confusion lies. Oh, really? Yes. No. It, it's very clear. Um, what you, what you're thinking is that you know there's a myriad of possible futures that all stem from this moment. But while that is true, the reason that that seems to be true that there's infinite number in our universe is that there are an infinite number of universes with this moment in them, you see. But the universe that we're actually in only has one future. Just because there are other universes that are exactly the same up to this moment doesn't mean that those are the same universe. They're, they're all, you know, side universes, right? But the, the universe that we are in, you and I right now, only has one future. And that's how I'm able to, you know, study it ahead of time. That's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Look, I... I I am a professional historian, and it would be irresponsible of me to tell you what happens in the future. So, unfortunately, I cannot prove this to you, but trust me, it is true. Well, I'm t I think you're full of crap. Look, if you can't prove it, then you don't know anything. Just because you don't think that it's true doesn't mean it's not true. And I don't, you know, I don't need to pre prove anything to you. You've already shown that you're an enemy to extra history. I'll come off of that. Just because I closed down the institute. But the point is, look, I can tell that you don't know the future. I do. All right, here's here's an example. Here's an example. Your plan of quitting your job and getting a job in media is going to fail miserably. That doesn't prove any... Look, first of all, I will never stop believing until I'm dead, so you couldn't prove that you were right until I was dead, and then it's too late to prove anything to me, first of all. Second of all, that's not true, so, I mean, obviously... Frank, no, you have to give this up. It's a pipe dream. It is a pipe dream. Well, look, it's not a pipe dream, but that has nothing to do with whether or not you know the future. You clearly don't know the future. Jordan, look, I know you're on his side about this stupid job thing, but... Clearly, he doesn't know the future, right? Well, Rory, I mean, let's be fair. How could you know the f the future? It's the future. There's because there's a fixed future. I'm telling you, there's only one future in this universe. Part of being an extra historian is knowing what universe you're in. Give me at least that much credit that I know which universe I'm in, please. Yeah, of course you know you're in this universe, but that doesn't mean you know what's going to happen. How else can you define what universe you're in other than by what happens? Of course I do. This is ridiculous. <sighs> yeah, it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous that we're arguing about something so stupid. You have no proof. There's definitely no way you can do it. I don't know why. I don't know why we're even talking about it. Because it's true. All right, look. Listen, I will tell you. <sighs> Jordan, how many people listen to this podcast? I, I, I don't know. I, I should really find that out, but I don't know. Well, if regardless, I'm sure it's not that many. So, all right, listen. If everyone listening to this can swear to secrecy, swear, I can give you a little something. Or, yeah, all right, this ought to be good. No, look, it's... 
listen, I could get in serious trouble for, for this, all right? So please, I can talk. All right, uh, what's coming? What, what? Well, all right, uh, next week on Wednesday, on the 27th, uh, the president is going to give his State of the Union address. So, all right, um, let's see. I can tell you what happens in it. Well, um, let's see. The president is going to ha- announce a job bill to try to raise, you know, employment. Uh, yeah, all right. Everybody knows that. Well, no, but uh, perhaps, yes, but that's something that's going to happen. He's going to encourage uh, American innovation for clean energy, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah, sure. He's going to try to double the amount of exports that America does. You know, that, that'll be nice for us, boost our economy. Um, invest in the skills of education, you know, uh, math and science emphasis, that sort of thing. Um, give more student loans, increase Pell Grants, double the, the child tax credit, all, all sorts of things like that. You know, big, big spending projects for, to, to try to, uh, mobilize the economy, you know, which is sort of a, a bit of a, a socialist thing. You it's know. not, that's not socialist. Socialist was the revolution we were going to have, but forget, no, it's not socialist, but that's, I mean, it sounds good. Right, right. And he's also going to, uh, try to reduce the deficit. All right. Now that's, that's ridiculous because you just said he's going to have big spending. So how can he reduce the deficit as well? That's, that's ridiculous. Well, uh, that's a good question. He says he wants to, not this year, but starting next year, he wants to freeze government spending for three years on uh, discretionary programs, not including, obviously, national security or Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, nothing like that, but um, a, a, a freeze so that we do eliminate uh, unaffordable and unworkable programs. Well, that's not very socialist at all. No, no, it's not. Uh, so it's good. But, you know, uh, getting rid of, of bad programs is, is definitely a, a positive thing. If you say so. But those are all things, those are all things that he stands for. So, that, I mean, that's a, you know... Obviously, if those are all right, that's a pretty good guess. But those are just things he he cares about. Those are things he ran on, some of those things. So, I mean, of course he's going to mention them. Well, look, I can't just give you... All right, um, here's here's a few things. First of all, he's going to say he wants to get rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Again, he said that in the election. I mean, he said he would do it in his first year. Oh, well, all right, fine. All right, how about this? He's going to slam... The Supreme Court totally, you know, just rammed them. What do you mean? Well, about the decision recently where they said that corporations can give as much money as they want to political campaigns. Right. Okay. Well, he's going to he's going to fire back at them. I mean, they're sitting right there in front of him, and he's going to say things right to their face. He's going to say, uh, what is it? Something like, um, I don't think American elections should be bankrolled by America's most powerful interests, or worse, by foreign entities. They should be decided by American people, and I'd urge Democrats and Republicans to pass a bill that helps to correct some of these problems. Um, and I know that doesn't sound very strongly worded, but trust me, if, if he's saying it right to them, it, it, it's quite moving. And everyone's cheering, things like that. All right, so that was a direct quote. You're saying that was a direct quote. From a speech that hasn't happened yet. Yes, because I know what's going to... Do you not understand this concept? I know what universe we're in. I know what's going to happen in the future. Then why did you go to jail? Well, uh, you know, I don't think we have to we talk about that. Well, that's, I think it's fair. You went to jail because you went into court and, well, was you were convicted of lying under oath. Why would you do that if you knew it was going to happen? Well, I, I, I didn't know that. Well, why not? Because, I mean, it's, it's, that would be, you know, that would be irresponsible to look up my own future. Co- well, but why would... Of course you're going to look up your own future. Don't, I mean, don't you want to know where you die? No, I couldn't. No, I, that would be terrible. If I knew when I was going to die, I might try to change it, and that's that's completely against the rules. No, look, I never use the knowledge that I know about the future for any gain. I mean, people come to me for extra historical readings, and they, you know, they always ask me for advice. I don't give advice because I know what's going to happen. And so, it'd be again, it would be wholly irresponsible if I were to tell people what was going to happen in the future. But instead, what I 
channel them means, you know, here's what happens in another reality, perhaps perhaps help them feel better about things. And of course, I know whether they're going to feel better about things. Of course they are. But I never let them know that I know, and I don't let them know what's going to happen in their future. That's just, again, it, it's completely irresponsible. You know, perhaps that's what you would do if you were an extra historian, but that's not the way I was trained. I was trained with morals and ethics. No, you were trained a lot. Look, there's no way I believe any of this stuff. Watch the, watch the speech. That quote is in the speech. You know, pl again, please listen. Please don't tell anyone that I, I did this. Listeners, please, because, it, like I said, it, it was vaguely irresponsible of me to do this. Jordan, in fact, perhaps we should restart the podcast, Jordan, and edit this out. Well, no, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to do that. Plus, I want to know whether it's I don't believe you still either, but, I mean, if this is true. Well, listen, it is true. All right, listeners, please. Please, 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 do not tell anyone what what you've heard. You know, people, if you if you act as though you have foreknowledge of the presidential State of the Union address, people will know something is awry, and then people will be pestering me to know the future. I listen. I cannot. I cannot be tempted by by money or riches or jewels. I really, you know, I'm. I will hold firm. I promise you, and I promise, you know, everyone, the American people, that I will not be swayed. Extra historians are made of sterner stuff than this. You know. We don't quit. I don't quit. Let's seize the moment to start anew, to carry the dream forward and strengthen the union once more. But let's not tell anyone what I've said here tonight, okay? Thank you very much. Total utter crap. Ridiculously stupid. Yeah, I, I'm, still, I'm still a little skeptical, I'll be honest with you. But... I will say, regarding the State of the Union Address, if you want to hear more about the State of the Union Address or what, what actually people are saying about it before it happens, uh, later in the show. I have a segment dedicated to it, so you'll, you'll hear a bit more about that. Right. Okay, uh, let's get to our first segment of the show. Um, oh, great. No, 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 not... It's not what you're thinking. Um, usually we do... Well, not usually, but recently we've been doing a, a little segment here. Um, but we're not going to do it today uh, here because, uh, well, you'll see. But um, I do want to get into the shows. You know, we have all sorts of, of shows to do. So let's let's get right to it. Let's get to our first serial, which is Decker and Hayes, a series about lesbian detectives. We're getting very close to the end of this series. I think three episodes left. You know, crazy stuff's going down with the widow. Who is the mayor's daughter? Who's blackmailing the mayor? Is, is he related to the widow? Is it, you know, there's so many mysteries going on. Hopefully, you'll enjoy the way they're getting wrapped up slowly, but surely. Episode 9, Past Forgotten, by Daniel Schwartz. Parlor Town stories rarely have happy endings. Donna Maynard? She's the mayor's bastard? Stella Decker and Macy Hayes were private detectives in a city with little concern for law and order. When its mayor, Robert Glass, had hired them to find a grotesque stalker, they'd seen it as a chance to pay the bills and nothing more. Their trail had led them to a mysterious woman who called herself the Widow, a vicious crime lord who was willing to pay big money for the illegitimate children of the mayor. All the while, a mysterious man whose voice they knew but whose body they'd never seen was stalking the detectives, willing to push them within an inch of death to scare or brutalize them off the case. But Macy and Stella didn't get where they were from scaring easily, and now that they discerned the identity of the mayor's final daughter, the news was not necessarily welcome. Of all the people to be related to Glass... <laughs> and to Tasha. I've seen her photo in the newspaper a couple of times. Always thought she was the spitting image. What do we do now? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? We call up the mayor and the widow, tell them that his kid's a mafia queen, and sit back and watch the fireworks. Glass was so worried about his daughter being abandoned or abused. 
How do we tell him that Sam and Grimaldi's wife doesn't need to worry about a thing? Oh, he'll want to know. You saw Glass's face when he found out he had a child. His own flesh and blood, it's like a dream come true to him. But that still doesn't tell us what we're going to do about the voice. Well, if he isn't working for the widow, it's open season. I don't think she'll be too happy about one of her employees running loose. If that's the case, we may just want to tell her. She'll probably want to take care of it herself, do our work for us. Good call, Mace. Your voice is sounding better, by the way. Thanks. Still hurts like a mother, though. Let's head home. I could go for something to eat, and we've gotta take a look at that. At home, Stella put some tea on for Macy, and then set about going over the wounds where the voice had tried to strangle her. Macy sat nervously, unsure of how to handle Stella's ministrations. The two of them had fought earlier that day, leaving Stella mad enough to strike Macy on the way out. For a woman confined to a wheelchair, she still packed quite a punch. Macy marveled at Stella's apparent calm now. Though Macy had more formal training in killing people, her partner had been doing it longer and with more enthusiasm. Those who knew Stella back when she was a gang member often commented on her strength and implacability in the face of opposition. Feeling the cool hands of a murderess caress her neck, Macy had never felt this comment to be truer. It's still not too pretty, but at least you can wear a scarf or something over it now. Here, have some tea. Thanks. Still. Listen, Mace, I don't know what's going on with you and the nurse. You don't trust me to stay faithful with Tasha around, but this is nothing new. There's plenty of things we haven't told each other, plenty of things we've lied about. I don't know if we can make this better when we don't trust each other, but we've got a case in front of us, and that could get us pretty set for a while. Let's solve that. Once we're done, we can see if we want to stay together or if we might be better off alone. Sounds like a plan. I thought so. Trouble is, uh, I'm lost about what we do next. I think we should at least talk to Donna Grimaldi. Sammy's a hard ass, but he won't kill us just for talking. Before that, though, I think we've got a little reunion to plan. An hour or so later found them at Cherry Street General Hospital, a squat gray compound where the poor went to die. Their fifth floor was the psych ward, and it was here that Mayor Glass and his security guard were waiting when the two detectives arrived. I came as soon as you called. Is she really here? Yes, but Mr. Mayor, there's something else you need to know. Besides the fact that my daughter is a former gang member, rape survivor, and requires psychiatric evaluation? That's just the one daughter, Mr. Mayor. The one? Oh my god. You can't mean. We're still making some inquiries, but all signs point to yes. Miss Decker, Miss Hayes, I don't know what to say. I can't thank you enough. Double our normal rate is adequate, thanks, sir. Triple. You'd be a steal at twice that, but... May I go in? I brought some flowers, although I didn't know what kind she liked, so I just got two of every kind they had, and... Stella, if you'd like to introduce them? No problem. Thank you so much. Um, how do I look? Well, it's not really a look she'd like. What do you mean? Uh, what does it need? Breasts for a start. <laughs> oh, I see, Miss Decker. Well, let's do this. Stan, stick around out here, okay? Yes, sir, Mr. Mayor. Tasha lay drowsing in her hospital bed. Stella and she had been an item way back when, and though Stella had moved on after almost twenty years, Tasha still felt very deeply for her former paramour. The rejection had been too much for her to take, and she'd torched a brothel in an attempt to end it all. Learning that she was the mayor's daughter hadn't done much to calm down a girl who'd grown up on the streets, but she'd become lucid enough for this first... awkward meeting. Tosh, how are you doing? 
It's still crazy, I guess. Who's he? I'm Mayor... I'm Robert Glass, Tasha. Nice to meet you. I, I think I've seen your face around. Listen, you guys have a lot of talking to do. I'll, I'll leave you be. Stella wheeled out of the door, the father and daughter behind her slowly settling into a reunion. Outside, Macy was nursing another cup of tea and looking deep in thought. I think we've done all we can here. Ready to split, Mace? Huh? Oh, yeah, right. Let's go. Parlor Town didn't have much to offer in the way of good neighborhoods. Most of the rich either left or took out enormous amounts of space, keeping a building or a wall between them and the salt of the earth. Sammy Grimaldi was no exception. The building that housed Grimaldi's shipping had a ranch house on the roof that rivaled most European chateaux. Protected from ground view by a wall and the noise of the trucks and workers below by three solid feet of concrete, it gave the illusion of suburban life while sitting right on top of the capital of Grimaldi's criminal empire. Nice place they've got here. Our flat would fit into their kitchen, probably. And they say crime doesn't pay. May I help you, detectives? In her presence, Stella and Macy had to conceal their shock. Donna Grimaldi had been Donna Maynard, actress, model, and playmate, before a marriage to a mob boss left her set for life. She was a Xerox copy, not of Tasha, but of who Tasha would have been. Nose unbroken by gang wars. Breasts left to flower without malnutrition. Belly swelling slightly, where more than a decade of rape hadn't left her barren and unwilling to touch. Her curves were natural. Her face effortlessly beautiful. Her eyes clear and bright. Seeing this perfect form before her, Stella felt renewed fury at the life that had broken the woman she loved. We hope so, Mrs. Grimaldi. I'm Macy Hayes. This is my partner, Stella Decker. Charmed, I'm sure. Do you mind if I sit? It's getting difficult to stand for a long time these days, what with the... Well, you know. Congratulations, ma'am. When are you expecting? Sometime in early June, probably. But this isn't why you've come here, is it? Unfortunately not. We have a few questions for you. <laughs> Normally, it's my husband who's getting asked questions by detectives. I hope it's not some affair of his you're looking into. We're a little more interested in your life before you met your husband, Mrs. Grimaldi. Is it true that you never knew your real father? Yeah, but I think of Ralph Maynard as my real father. In every way that matters, he's my dad. Did you ever wonder who your biological father was? Sure, all the time when I was a teen. Who doesn't look at their parents when they're 13 and hope they're adopted? Did you make any inquiries? One or two. The records at Cherry Street are crap, so I didn't get very far. Just a report of birth. Six pounds, nine ounces. I was scrawny. And beyond that, you never tried to find out? Money was tight acting, and when I married Sammy, I didn't want some gold diggers calling me baby. Never really got the chance to find out. Everything okay in here, sweet pea? Sammy the Shark Grimaldi was one of the richest men in Parlor Town. He'd made a name for himself by being for sale and staying bought. When an unfortunate series of shootings left a power vacuum among the Parlor Town families, he'd stepped in to fill it. Now, pushing sixty, a decade of unrivaled prosperity, and years of marriage to a beautiful woman had only just begun to wear on his powerful physique. He filled the doorway in a casual button-down and jeans, a grin that belied or perhaps confirmed his grisly reputation. Hey, Big Daddy, how was work today? Not bad. Caught one of the truckers trying to pocket the merchandise for himself. I had to send him on his way. Who's the company? I'm Macy Hayes, Mr. Grimaldi, and this is Stella Decker. Hayes? Decker? Two private eyes who are... Hey, it makes it easier to carpool. <laughs> Bet it does. I hope you're not grilling my wife too thoroughly. Don't want to upset her, what with the baby and all. Aw, Daddy, you worry too much. I'm not made of glass. Funny you should mention. Listen, Mr. and Mrs. Grimaldi, my partner and I need to run for now. Can we talk again in a little while? Uh-huh. 
Hey, I'm just a spectator. What do you say, sugar? Sure, though I'm not sure where you're going with all this. Give me a call, we'll set something up. Thanks. Macy, let's get going. Um, right, of course. Thanks for all your help. Macy kept a pleasantly blank expression on her face all the way to the truck. Okay, Stella, you'd better have a good explanation for all I this. I think I know what's going on. What? I found the one that's the key to the whole puzzle. I found the lone number. Stella and Macy drove off in search of answers, while across town, former police sergeant Bobka was in a bar, drinking away his unemployment and lamenting his position. Crazy bitch cuts off my hand! Freaking orderlies won't let me leave! Goddamn fight my way out of a goddamn hospital. Guys in the force treat me like trash. I'll show them all. They'll get theirs. Oh, yeah. Start with those two dykes. You mean Decker and Hayes? You're damn right, man. Shameful, really. People like them on the street when you're like this. Word right out of my mouth. Well, somebody ought to do something about it. Hell with somebody. I ought to do something about it. I couldn't agree more. Here, you might find this useful. Well, son of a bitch. Thanks, friend. To whom do I owe the pleasure? We'll just think of it as a gift from the committee to re-elect Mayor Glass. Will Tasha and Mayor Glass be able to bridge the gap between them? What answers is still a divine from the mess of clues and misdirection? How will Bopko try to take his revenge? Answers and more questions await in the next episode of Decker and Hayes. What a piece of work. In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon. Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson. Mayor Glass was Ryan Loranger. The voice was Justin Ha. Officer Bopko was Elijah Weberham. And Sammy Grimaldi was Nicholas Roach. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. And uh, let's get to our next segment. Speaking of extra history, we've done a lot of talking about extra history recently on this episode so far, I mean. Let's get right to your your big extra history segment for this episode, which is This Day in History. And don't forget, where are they now in history? Right, of course, of course. Here it is. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. Did you know that on January 25th, 1924, the first Winter Olympics take off in style at Chamonix in the French Alps? Let's listen. Ah, here I am at the Winter Olympics with style, with panache, with my new coat, my new pants, my shiny suede shoes, ready to ski down the mountain in my most stylish way. Brrr, it's cold outside. Francois! You are such a buffoon! You embarrass all of France with your stupidity! I spit upon you! How do you know if you get frostbite? I am so cold outside in France! The big ice cube on your head should tell you you are frostbite, you buffoon! But what is the matter with the ice cube on my head? Is it a new style? Excuse me, I'm an American and therefore know everything. You! Frenchman. Uh, yeah, we oui, American. You're suffering from frostbite because the majority of the heat in your body escapes through your head. And because you're all shiny and bald, it's all going away. You need to wear a hat. Here, take an American hat. God's hat. Do not insult the French by saying we lose our heat through our head. Suede shoes? We. Oui. Yes, and uh, most people don't realize that that one competitor was the only competitor from France, and therefore France started losing, and they never won anything for the rest of eternity. Uh, which is sad, because other smarter French people did take the lesson to heart, and they, like you should, wore hats when it was cold to keep warm. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. I am seriously getting sick of things about French people, honestly. 
My name's Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? I'm Cast and Wax, and I'm just going to tell you why French people are so terrible. Once upon a time, there was a country called France. And the reason it was called France was because the first person who lived there was named France. France Johnson was his name. This was, of course, before they invented the language French and before they had French accents. So Mr. France Johnson would walk around saying things like, Hello, my name is France Johnson, and I am better than everyone else. And I like to eat cheese, but I like to be snotty about it. You know, I don't just eat cheese in the casual way. I do it in a way that makes you want to hit me. It's not that I want you to hit me, but rather I want you to want to hit me. And then I want you to not be able to hit me because other people would look down on you. Things like that. And Mr. Franz Johnson was so incredibly arrogant, he would just prance about as though the sun shone out of his butthole, you know, things like that. And because he believed, truly, that the sun shone out of his butthole, he thought, well, I don't need to keep warm in the winter because the sun will keep me warm, the sun which resides inside of my butthole. Well, he was wrong. And so he wasn't dressing warmly, even though he should, and he wasn't wearing a hat to keep the warmth into his head. And eventually, after doing this long enough, he died. Just goes to show that the sun does not shine out of your ass, Frenchie, and that you should wear a hat. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? on Cast and Wax. So there. So the moral of that was, the sun doesn't shine out of your butthole, Frenchie. It's true, is it not? Even you cannot deny the truth of that. The truth that the sun does not shine out of the butt of French people. True or no? That is technically true, yes. However, I doubt that very many French people, if any, actually believe that the sun shine. But they act like it, don't they? No, listen, the French people, they just drive me crazy. I don't understand why you have a problem with me hating the French. Look, they just are very hateable. And, you know, it. look, this is something that happens. The French, they've been coming up recently a lot on this day in history, and I'm sick of them. I don't want to deal with the French anymore. Next time there's a thing about French people, I'm just going to say, forget it. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about those Frenchies anymore. Very professional. Now, let me say, you're the one who gets jobs and money, and you're saying, I won't, when you're so unprofessional as to be completely biased by a nationality and you're just going to give up on your your show because it mentions French people on it. No, I'll still do my show when that occurs. I just won't talk about the French people. I'll ignore them politely. I won't even have to say anything bad about them again because I've already got it all out there now. But, you know, look, I'm just, I'm tired of them. I don't want any more French people. You are ridiculous. Uh, thank you very much. No, I'm not. French people are ridiculous. Ah, uh, okay. So, I hope you're not French if you're listening to this, because you'd probably be offended. And I would like to apologize. Don't apologize to the French. I'm going to, because you're being a jerk to them. Well, I don't apologize. Because you're a jerk. No, because uh, they don't deserve an apology. They do. French people, I'm sorry. If you're listening, Pierre, Jacques, you know, Harold, anybody who's out there, I, I apologize. Anyway, let's move along to the next segment of the show. Right, yes. Uh, I did a special segment in preparation for the State of the Union Address. Uh, you know, it's a, it, it's what we in the industry call kind of a speculative piece because uh, we're talking about something that, you know, in the future we'll know what's in the State of the Union Address, but now we don't know despite what some jerks think. I'm not a jerk. But, you know, yeah, but it's a piece speculating on what's going to be in it, what experts say. We have some interviews with some people who might have some inside information, but I can't, you know, quite say who they are. A bit of a secret identity there. Um, and also some other experts uh, on Capitol Hill, some other news people, you know, things like that. So it's going to be quite exciting. Got it ready, Jordan? Well, it's funny that you ask that. Um, before you turned it in, I was trying to get in touch with you earlier in the week, um, but before you turned it in, uh, Rory came to me and You are asked, not replacing my show. Well, no, um, listen, I, he, but he came to me with this special thing. He, Him and Scape got together. But and Together! The two of them together are going to replace me. No, but I'm just, listen, they got together and they did a special thing, and in a way, it is still a, a U segment to the show. Oh, you um, because, know, you know. Well, it's because this is, the, this is an extended, larger version of... Ad-
Apple Watch. Oh, come on. You gotta be kidding me. Jordan, you can't you can't do this. Look, my I did a thing on the State of the Union address. Next week, the Union address is already gonna have happened. My speculative piece is gonna be completely pointless. No, I know, but but in a, in the same way, the longer we wait to do this interview that they did... Interview? With who? who? They're not interviewers. Oh, come on. Jordan, you listen, you cannot do this to me. You've gotta play my special. You've got to play Frank, it. But I, like I said, I tried, I tried to call you and say, don't bother to do anything. But I, it's my turn. No, I know, but they asked me. It's a special thing. I listen. I, I promised them I would play it. You guys are jerks. You guys are jerks. Oh, this is. I, I worked really hard on this, Jordan. I'm really proud of it, and I think if people hear it, they will want to hire me. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but we tried to contact you, Rory. Yes. I hate you. No, you listen. You shouldn't. I do. You are so evil. No, no, no. Listen. Once you hear it, I think that it will help you. And I think that I hate you and will hate you probably more after I hear it. No, just listen. Just give it a chance. And Scapey, Scape, Scape, wake up. What? 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 Scape, you're a jerk. What? No, I'm not a jerk. Why would you call me jerk? Because I, I just found out you're taking my segment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, jerk. That's what a jerk would say. No, 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 jerk. <laughs> yes, a jerk. Yes, jerk. All right, let's get, all right, let's, let's get to the, let's get to the segment. Here it is. Welcome to this very special edition of Asshole Watch. My name is Rory Sinjin, and this is my co-host, Mr. Scape White. Hello, how are you doing today, Rory Sinjin? I'm doing quite well, I'm doing quite well. Now, as you all know, Asshole Watch is a show in which we watch Frank Allen, as the, the jingle did say. But more than that, uh, this edition is, is, is very special because we know there's no news with Frank Allen. He hasn't got a job, he hasn't had any offers. But what we wanted to do was to take an extra special moment to kind of impress upon Mr. Frank Allen how difficult it is to get a job in the media that he is trying to get a job in. Yes, now, basically, what Rory's trying to say is we know that Frank Allen sucks, okay, basic, and we were like, well, what if we was to make him know that he sucks? Basically. Yes, in layman's terms. And to that end, Scape and I made an important phone call. We called up Mr. Steve Brennan, executive producer of the national news show, Newsfront, to talk to Mr. Brennan about what they're looking for in an anchor and whether they think Frank Allen is the type of person that they would want to hire. And I think we found some very interesting facts. Wouldn't you say, Scapey? Oh, yeah. I, I, was pretty, I was pretty interesting. Yes, yes. But in interest, yes. Well, all right. Well, let, let's listen to the, the interview. Here it is. Hello, Mr. Brennan. My name is Rory Sinjin. I'm here with a program called Apple Watch. And I'm not saying that you're an Apple 
Or, of course, but uh, dealing with uh, a gentleman we know called Frank Allen, who is an asshole. Oh, Frank Allen. Yeah, no, I remember him from uh, Allen Industries, right? Yes, uh, that's the one. So, Mr. Brennan, you're the executive producer of Newsfront. Uh, this is a national news program. Uh, it's played on cable uh, across the entire nation, internationally as well, I would say. Yes, yes, we are picked up in a few uh, a few other countries as well, absolutely. Many, in fact. I like to think we're the, the uh, premier news organization. It might Some people might argue with that, so uh, I better not make that claim too loud, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But, yeah, I, I like to think we're fairly important. Right, now that's good. So, let me ask you this. Do you, do you have a policy against hiring assholes, you know, in general, do you do you, do you feel that it's a right to have an asshole on the staff? Well, that's that's an interesting question. We do have uh we do have an open policy when it comes to whether or not we hire assholes because well, if we were to say we weren't going to hire someone just because of an if we were going to say we wouldn't hire people just because they were assholes, uh, that would get us into some uh, legal uh, water. That's discrimination. You're not allowed to have discriminatory hiring practices. So technically, uh, we are open to assholes in our business. We 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 do allow assholes to be hired and to be on our shows. We don't like it, though. Um, we prefer not to have assholes. Now, I'm not saying we're discriminating. Of course, you hear that. So, we're not. But let me just say, it's easier to get across your uh, your experiences and, and your qualifications if you're being nice while you're getting them across than it is when you're being an asshole. When you're being an asshole, a lot of times it o- overshadows what you're actually saying and your actual qualifications. And uh, they end up not being uh, heard. So, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough to be an asshole nowadays. And I, I, I mean, I'm not speaking from experience. I'm speaking from people I know. So that that's where we stand. That's very interesting. That is very interesting. Um, I have a question as well. Um, oh, okay, uh, you're going to have to... Can you speak speak up a little? I, I find it very hard to understand what you're saying. Okay, I am asking a question now. My question is this. If Frank Allen came to your business for a job and he was walking around being like... Hey, I'm Frank Allen. I'm so good. Didn't you know I'm so good? Because I am. But you could tell that really he wasn't so good. Then would you give him a job or, or what? Well, okay, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. I would say uh, if he said he was good and he wasn't good, and we could tell he wasn't good, then no, we wouldn't give him a job. We tend, we like to hire people who are good and uh, that we can tell they are good. But that being said, that's a big if. I'm, I don't know this gentleman you're talking about well. I mean, I, I know of him. I've not heard his uh, his actual reporting. I've not heard his news experience. So I don't know if he is good or not. But what I do know is that if he is good, we would hire him. If he's not good, no, we would. I mean, that's... That that's, seems obvious. But isn't that discrimination too? No, I mean, I can see what you mean in a sense. Uh, I can see why you'd think that. Uh, but no, the, the policy states uh, basically we can hire people based on their merits and uh, having poor merits is not something that we are discriminating against, or at least not something that's bad to discriminate against. We're okay to discriminate against that, basically. That's the one thing I think you're comfortable discriminating against. Okay, okay. All right, now, if it's all right with you, sir, um, what we'd like to do next is um, we have some clips of Frank Allen. You said you couldn't judge him because you didn't know his work, but we have some very short clips we'd like to play you. And you can tell us what you think of them, what your thoughts are as a professional producer and as a person who has strong opinions, I would say, right? Uh, sure. No, I, I can, uh, I can uh, yeah, why not? You know, give it a shot. All right. Um, here's the first clip. No, you're an idiot. You're just a complete moron. I don't understand why. Why am I even talking to you? You are the worst guest I've ever had on my show. You seriously, seriously, you believe those things that you're saying because that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't understand what is wrong with you and what's wrong with the world that it would make you. You know, that's ridiculous. All right, that's the first clip. Now, what? Now, what? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? That's that's interesting. Uh, okay, I now again, I don't know context, so uh, context. 
changes a lot of things. But what I would say is that there are certain kinds of shows where that might be acceptable. Um, you know, your, your, your pundit shows where they're interviewing someone and they clearly have a slant. You know, that, that sort of thing might be acceptable on that. As a regular news anchor, obviously, no. Uh, but there are, there is a place for that sort of, you know, terrible berating of, of people. Some people enjoy it. I don't know what they're thinking, but that is the way it is. So my professional opinion is that that does, that is a sign of appleness, like you were saying. But we don't discriminate against apples. Some apples make a lot of money. So uh, basically, it's still a maybe at that point. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, hold on, because I got him. Here's another clip, though. See what you think of this one. This one is rather different. Okay. Well, okay, miss, but why are you, uh, why are you being so cold to me? I, I brought you on my show. I thought that you and I might have some dinner, you know. Uh, I mean, you're a very, I hope you don't mind me saying you're a very beautiful woman, and uh, I know I'm not the most attractive man that you've ever seen, probably, but I, I have uh, I have some intellect. I don't have any money, but I, I, I scraped together or something. I got us a, a pretty decent meal here. Are you sure you don't want to just try it? That's clip number two. Um, all right. Well, that, that was a little strange. That was a little stranger. Uh, so this is all, that was all on the same show. As, I mean, it was, that wasn't the same episode, right? No, no, not the same episode, but it was same same show. That's his interview show. So it was not the same guest, good, no. Good. Okay, no good. Because that, that would be that would be awkward. Um, all right. Well, my, my feeling on that is obviously that's totally unprofessional, and uh, I that's completely unacceptable. You can't be, A, you can't be asking out guests on your show. That's... Uh, that's kind of stupid. And B, it's, it's an abuse of power because you're saying, I, I brought you on the show, now you it's quid pro quo. You know, that's not right. That's an abuse. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I would, if somebody did that on my network, I would fire them. And if somebody did that in an interview with me, I would uh, I would walk out mostly because I'm not gay, but I mean even if it was a if it was a woman, I'm married. So right, no, of course that does make so, I mean, sense. Yeah, I, I I have a wife, and I don't understand why you're trying to do this to me. You know, I I think it's clear that we have feelings for each other. You know, you're you are if you, you are a beautiful woman, but no, right, you know, no, but you're not. No, I mean I know you're not. I know you're not saying that to me. I'm I'm saying that uh, this, that's what I would say. Okay, that's what I would say. If um, but if somebody did that on my network, I would say you're you're off my show. You're you're out of here. That's not acceptable. So at this point, he's he's leaning towards a no. You wouldn't hire him now. No, no, sure, no. Why would no? Definitely not. Right. Okay. But we actually have another clip. If you if you don't mind. No, that's fine. I mean, I doubt it'll change my mind. But well, you never know. I know that I said I was going to do a show today, and I am. But I just wanted to say I'm so lonely. It's it's painful. Oh my God! Why? Why is the world so hard? Why is the world so hard? Uh, listeners, you don't understand. I mean, please, just, uh, this is the worst. Oh, God. This is the worst tragedy I have ever lived through. And I, I, I know it was, it was hard to come back on the air, but I felt like it was important that we do come back on um, because the healing had to begin, you know, and, um, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough, but uh, the fact is, Firefly m- means a lot to a lot of people, and you know we will keep the show alive in our hearts, even though it's not on anymore. I I don't look. I don't understand it, but we can we can make this better somehow. You know that we can buy the DVDs. I don't I don't even know. All right, now let me let me say uh, that that's a little weird that he's upset about the Firefly so much, you know. 
It was a good show, but I mean, seriously, come on. You thought that was a, it was a space western? Nobody's going to watch that. Come on. That's why we don't do space western news. I would have thought it, I would have thought it was because there's not a lot of things going on in space western in real life. No, I mean, you'd think that, but that's not why. You think that because when we put those things in the news, nobody watches it, so we we don't bother putting those things in the news. The fact is, space westerns just don't sell. This guy likes space westerns. That puts him back down a little bit. All right. Well, that's that's understandable. I'm, look, I'm looking for people who are commercial. You know, I'm looking for people who are going to say news that sells. You know, I don't want people who are going to say news that's uh, going to get me critical acclaim for my news, but nobody's actually going to listen to it. I mean, wh- what do we want that for? You know, what's the point of that? All right, well, we, but we have more to show you. All right. Well, I, I mean, I can't do this all day, but... No, no, but just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Okay. I'll be totally straight with you. I lured you onto the show on a false pretense, okay? I said it was for an interview. That's not the truth. The fact is, it's a little bit of ambush journalism, what, what you might call ambush journalism, because the fact is, you are responsible for many of the worst things in the world today. And I know that seems like a little extreme, but, but listen, but hear me out, okay? Because what you have done to humans, what you have done to people, is so reprehensible, so absolutely atrocious. You say that you've done good. I've heard you say it in many different places. You say you know, I've done right by people. I've I've helped this and that. The fact is, Mom, you are just a horrible human being. I'm sorry. Did he say? Did he say, Mom? Did he say, Mom? Just now, Mom. Yes, yes. That was an interview with Frank's mother. Yes, it's from a long time ago. But yes, he he did have his mother on to kind of ambush her with uh, what he really thought of her. All right. Now that I, I'm a little torn, to be honest with you, about that because on the one hand, uh, that's really. Wow, that is a really asshole thing to do. On the other hand, that's, you know, that's ratings. That's ratings. You have a Mother's Day special where a son is ripping into his mother. People will watch that. They'll, they'll watch it as a train wreck. They won't say, well, this is, I'm enriched by this. They will say, I can't believe this asshole did this thing. It's really... Yes, it's really absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's horrible. It's horrible. I can't believe someone would do that. So I'll be totally fair with you. I would not like this show, but I might be willing to do a show where we have someone behaving like an asshole uh, for the purpose of uh, shocking people. Right, no, of course. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Frank Allen always says he's an investigative interviewer, and one of the things he likes to do is try to accuse the interviewee of a crime by the end of the interview almost every time. Not always, but frequently. What What is what is the, the media's feeling on this? Well, uh, that's interesting. I, I mean, that's a different twist again. I like that this guy comes up with twists. You know, he comes up with a way to turn this interview around, but no, Generally speaking, that's not. I mean, are we talking about anybody? Anybody he talks to? Not literally anyone, but you know, there's a few times. I mean, I, I, I let's say I sit him down next to Justin Timberlake. Is he gonna? They're gonna say he killed a guy? Well, perhaps he would. I mean, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. The more, the more I think about it, actually, that's kind of a cool show. No. This, this idea of an asshole show where we guarantee this guy is going to be an asshole every episode. We put it out there and say, we promise you, we'll- this guy will be an asshole. Every time. And people will tune in for that. People will want to know about that. People will want to see yes, no, that. No. They won't want to be near that. I mean, it'll be hard getting guests, to be honest with you. But it'll be worth it. We'll figure out a way. You know, people will come on to promote their movies. You know, people are narcissists. They'll come on for anything. And right. this guy will just be an asshole to them. I mean, that's that's kind of amazing. In fact, I, I really think this is... The more I think about it, I mean, my juices are really flowing here. I got no, some no, ideas. No, listen, 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 listen. This, this gentleman is not someone you want to be dealing with. I, I, seriously. Seriously. In fact, I, we actually have one more clip that we'd like to play you. It's very important that you hear this no, clip. I, I don't think I need any more clips. I mean, this is... No, uh, no, it's seriously. You really need to hear this one because this is this one I think might change the way you feel about it. All right, let's hear this clip. I mean, I, what do I care? No, listen. Seriously. Seriously. Newsfront. Newsfront. 
Newsfront is a piece of crap. You know, Newsfront is one of the... Whoever whoever produces that should just kill themselves in shame because, to be honest with you, that is the worst show. I, I do a better show than that, and I don't even do a show much. So, my, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd take a job from them, sure, but come on. That's, that's an insult to say, Newsfront. God. All right, all right. Seriously? This is what he has to say about us. Come on, come on. That's a little ridiculous. I mean, we, you know, we are a respected news source. You know, we, we work hard. You know, the fact that we're on the knitting network doesn't really mean that we're not a genuine news source. There are people who are knitting, and that we're where they get their news. You know, we're where they get their news. What, what do they want? What does this guy want from us? For, you know what? Forget it. You're right. This, this is the stupidest. I'm not, I'm not hiring this guy. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Right, because he sucks. Well, yeah, I do think he sucks now. Now I do. I really do think he sucks now. He does. Well, all right, good. You tell him that for me. All right. Thank God, you suck. Everybody knows it. It's true, everybody. Everybody knows it. And I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to make some calls, make sure everybody knows it. I mean, ser- seriously, you know, what What do you What do you want from me? Well, I think he wants a job from you, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, does it? No, definitely not. Definitely not something that's going to happen, for sure. Good. Excellent. So, uh, Mr. Steve Brennan, executive producer of the Knitting Network's Newsfront, thank you very much for being on our show, Apple Watch. And um, if you could just, you know, say our slogan for us just one time before we leave. It'd be my pleasure. Frank Allen, you are an apple. That was Apple Watch. Apple Watch. We just watch Frank. We just watch Frank. We just watch Frank I hate you. All three of you. All three of why? Why do you hate me? Jordan, you do not need to ask me that question. You know the answer. Because I, because I played their segment instead of yours? Yes. And don't think I didn't hear the ukulele in that theme song. Well, I always, but, but you know, I do the segments. Jordan, I hate you. Rory, I hate you most. Scapey. I also hate you, but not as much as Rory. Well, I don't see... Listen, you clearly missed the point. The point that I missed was that you talked to a producer, convinced him that I could do a show, and then took that opportunity away from me. Well, Frank, I, I think really you did that. No, Rory. I think you did that. No, no, I think you did that because you were the one who went on your show and said those things. Rory, where did you get those clips? From from your, you know, your segment. Were those clips on, oh, let's see, were they on the podcast, on Frank Allen interviews on the podcast? Well, no. Were they on maybe, oh, I don't know, the home tape recordings that I do to keep my wits sharp? Well, because I think I heard some tape hiss on that. No, I mean, yes. That, yeah, well, yes, that's where they're from, yes. So a place that no one could have ever possibly heard them if you hadn't taken them and put them on the podcast, in other words. Well, yes. No, that's true, yes. Right. So... You're wondering whether or not I hate you. Well, no, I think I think it seems pretty clear now that you do. Right, I do. And I think you know why now. Well, yes, but I, I'm just saying, look, I'm, I'm trying to help you. You're not trying to help me. Well, I am, because like I said, it's not going to work. So I'm trying to prepare you for the failure that's coming. Would you say that it's not going to work partly because you're sabotaging it? Well, no, no, I wouldn't say, say that, no. But you did just try to sabotage. Yes, but I was trying to help you. I hate you. And I'm glad I shut down the Brooklyn Institute. Well, I, I knew you were, so... 
Look, I'm trying to be a better person here and help you to come to a realization. You know, Rory, I really think maybe we should drop it. Well, I'm just saying, I, I you know, I am trying to be helpful so that Frankie and I No, I know what you're saying, but I think maybe we should drop it because he looks really angry right now. No, I do, but I know he's angry, but I'm saying that when he calms down, he will realize, I believe Rory, that... Rory, please, I think you should stop talking now because he looks really angry. Ew. All right, all right, yes. All right, good, good, because I think, yeah, I think he might hit you if you say another word. So let's move on to the next segment. Um, next up, we have Epic Echoes, which is exciting. Uh, let's get to it. Goes the Backwards Series, Season 4, Episode 7, of Death by Guinevere Eckert. You have got to be kidding me. The Valorous Flashpack leaned from their seats in the Flashpack's ship, the Marvin II, and peered at Max's video phone, staring into the face of a thin, fey creature with severely pointed ears and a tattered bomber jacket. Certainly not, lovely lady. I never kid, though often jest. So you're jesting. <laughs> my, 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 no, no. Now please, dear friends, do an old companion a favor. Look. Puck, we just defeated Nova, sent Streg on the Annihilator into the 40th dimension, and the Princess of Cute hasn't even been emo for a whole 10 minutes. We're going home. Max, come on! Help an old friend out? Who is this pranky man anyway? Fertress had unstrapped himself from his seat and came to peer into the video phone at the strange spry imp. Forgive me, good sir. I am called Puck. I be that merry wanderer. He's an old friend whose finest features is wondrous ability to get me into messes. And out of them again. But mostly into them. Ah, Lady Molly, I haven't seen you since Is this going to be a repeat of the Atlantis fiasco? Oh, you heard about that, did you? There was an awkward silence in which Puck ran through a series of innocent smiles, Max thought, and Molly idled the ship, not wanting to exit the atmosphere over Hawaii in their tattered ship unless she really had to. Look, Max... All I ask is for one afternoon. Fun, revelry, hot beverages. How bad can it be? Total rest and relaxation on your part. Oh, come on! What do you think, guys? How bad can it be? At least I won't have to make dinner for you all. Let's do it. I want to go to bed! I'm sure we can throw something together for you, Chill. All right, Puck, we'll do it. Feed us your coordinates and we'll be right- <laughs> The flashback lurched forward in their seats as the Marvin II plowed into an enormous snowbank. Gods, Molly, are you ever going to learn how not to crash this thing? A, I've only been crashing it since that blast from the spiders from Mars ripped out the landing gear. B, I haven't touched the controls since Puck called in. He transported us here. And C, no, I'm not going to learn because the engine just died. Oh, can't you fix it? No, it died. Oh, it was alive? Yes, and the impact jolted the last of the energy out of the Salinite crystal, so now it's dead. But I have the backup ship. We have a backup ship? 
Well, yeah. I fixed up the ship that Fertress crashed into us. Magic user, not pirate! And miniaturized it, just in case we were ever stranded in, let's say, the most desolate patch of ice on Earth. Speaking of desolate, where's Puck? I'm guessing on there. Fried flying flounders! Before the flash pack dominating the expanse of ice, snow, and more snow, was a massive palace carved entirely from ice. No way. I told you we should have gone home. We fell for it again. Max! What? How was I supposed to know Puck was working for the Sultan of Ice? Why do you always have to agree to that hobgoblin's hijinks? Hi, guys. The Ice Sultan is a notorious friend monger. As you might expect from a man who lives all alone on a continent of ice populated mostly by penguins and encased in a radioprotective dome. Erected in 2085, whereas the dome keeping the northern glaciers from melting and flooding out humanity were established 20 years prior due to the Anglo-European concern over the welfare of their own more culturally advanced people and cities rather than the less scientifically advanced societies in the southern hemisphere, which was... Now is not the time for a history lesson, Jimbo. Sorry, just wrote an essay about it for my Meteorolo-Political Sciences final. Anyhow, the Salt of Ice likes to lure heroes and big-name millionaires to his home and keep them there under threat of, you know, destroying the world if they don't cooperate. So don't drink the tea. That sounds like it comes from experience. Look, it's not generally assumed that the guy put in charge of making sure supervillains don't show up with plans to tear down the dome is going to start making threats to dismantle it himself, so- Ow! Dralis bounced back a few paces, rubbing her face. The flashback found themselves face to, literally in Dralis's case, face with a giant wall of intricately carved ice. You must be the flashback. The flashback snapped out of their amazement and into confusion at the sound of the surprisingly good English being spoken by what appeared to be a severely oversized emperor penguin. Hi. Thornfield, Thornfield, Sing, Slaughter, Kovacs, Keen, and one guest, Fuzzbottom. Fuzzbottom! His Majesty is expecting your presence and will be positively thrilled to see you. Right down that corner, if you please. The pack slid along the grand entranceway, not quite certain if they were more enthralled by the exquisite sculptures that they found all around them, or fearful of the outcome of a random earthquake or global warming. They rounded one final corner and found themselves standing at the entrance of a vast throne room. At least they assumed it to be a throne room. It was huge and decorated with ice, kind of like the rest of what they had seen of the place. But a highly bejeweled individual sat on what could have been a throne, if it wasn't so well blended into its surroundings and at the opposite end of a long stretch of, well, ice that appeared to be dyed red. Dyed with what? The flashback was not eager to find out. Come in. Come in, my friends. The man was rather short and bald as an egg, but made up for it with a mad long mustache. He hopped out of his too large throne and stumbled over his too long robes in his rush to get to the other end of the hall and shake the hands of the flashback. A highly embarrassed Puck followed behind at a much more somber speed. Oh, welcome. Welcome. How are you? Was your trip too exhausting? I hope the temperature isn't too unacceptable. I can't exactly turn up the heat. Was the guard at the gate rude to you? I do hope he wasn't rude. Uh, no, he was fine. Excellent. Come, come, into the parlor. Everyone follow me. The flashback shuffled out behind their cheery nemesis. Dralis, Molly, and Max surrounded Puck, who attempted a sheepish smile. So... What do you get out of this? Out of what? The part where you lure us, the flashback, the group whom Mr. Frosty over there has been trying to relure here for years, back? Oh, that. Well, I, um, well, look, it's, it's not like you were really otherwise engaged anyway. Out with it, Puck. I stepped into one of his traps while on my way to visit your, my, um, friend. I was visiting a friend, taking a nice jaunt down the street, and next thing I knew, I was very cold. 
He knew I had connections with you. So you sold us out to him? He threatened me. You're a sprite. And I didn't want to spend eternity here by myself. I figured you'd come up with a good plan of escape. Oh, there. You stragglers, keep up. We don't want to miss the fun. Seven hours, four cups of steaming cocoa, a game of Scrabble, four rounds of charades, one upset ladders and gravity board, and a significant amount of time spent surreptitiously glaring at Puck later, Molly finally found the opportunity to speak to Max. Max, we need to get out of here. Stelloff has been beeping in every half hour. I'm worried that something's going on out there that we should be taking care of. I mean, it's one thing if we can't save Belgium because we're busy liberating the planet Zoom, but if this trend of flashbacks to villains of the past continues, I think the Kriegmeister might be next. And, and... I'm just worried. I know, Molly. Puck and I are working on a- Plan of escape? You- you're escaping me? But- but- but you're my friends! Yes, Winston, we- we are your friends. We love spending time with you. But we do have other friends as well. But- We promise to come back for an afternoon sometime. But right now, we really, really need to get going. Oh, very well. I'll show you out. Um, thank you. The Flashpacking Company, confused at the lack of obstacles between them and their exit, followed the Sultan of Ice to the door. He stood back to let them pass, and once the entire Flashpack had stepped through the door, the Ice Sultan pulled a small, frozen lever, and the ground underneath the feet of the Flashpack fell away to nothing. Ah! Oh, no. ah, is everyone mostly all right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Can anybody uh, tell where we are? The pack stood up and looked around them. It looks like we're in a maze. Keen, can you- I'm over here, Molly. Molly looked confusedly at Keen, walked over to her, and smacked into a wall. Ow! They appear to be super reflective walls of ice. Jill, are you okay? I know Julie had a thing for clowns and I could deal with that, but this is too much. The rest of the flashpacking company looked up above the labyrinthine walls of ice to see a series of giant clown figures leering down at them, teeth bared. They all jumped again as loud carnival-style music began to emanate loudly from nowhere, and several evil-sounding cackles floated from somewhere, out of sight, but definitely nearby. What is this? Some kind of funhouse? Of death? Looks to be. Any suggestions on how to get out of this place? Don't die. Thanks. I scanned the area. It's indeed a labyrinth. The exit is about half a mile that way. We can follow the image I built of the scan on my info glasses. But we must stay together, and I can't identify any potential obstacles. Excellent, Keen. Max, you're talking to a wall. I recommend we all take hands. That way we know who's flesh and who's reflection. Can I hold your hand, Dwaris? No. Ah! It's got my hand! The flashback turned to look down the line at Jimmy and the large, axe-wielding penguin who had his hand in a vice-like grip. Dralis, in turn, whipped out her own double-headed, extra-tight steel monomolecular axe and charged to the penguin. The flashback broke into a run. Keen tossed Jimmy her handheld incinerator 256 so that she could focus on guiding the group out of the maze. This is ridiculous! Penguins are supposed to be nice and cute and share eggs! Not elementary penguins! They're deeply religious and good for one thing! What would that be? Jumping out from crevices and walls and trying to hack us to death with axes! Why couldn't he have just glued us to the twister mat like last time? Apparently his majesty has moved on to bigger and better ideas! I am never going to a carnival again! Keen, are we almost out of here? No, it looks like the end of the path keeps moving and changing and looping back around the farther along we get. <laughs> the flashback halted again as the mirrored walls of their never-ending prison flickered and showed the vastly magnified face of the Sultan of Ice. Run, little flashback. Run. You think you can escape my magical fun house? I had it built specially for you. You'll never get out alive. <laughs>
Uh, guys, we need a new escape plan. They've got us surrounded. Shut up! I'm gonna get rid of you myself! Drellis charged the nearest wall, intent on putting her fist right through the Sultan's nose, but the panel slid out of sight just in time. Drellis staggered to a halt and looked around. The rest of the pack fought in vain to slow the penguin's approach. There was no real end to the maze, and the walls kept moving. There was only one solution. Drellis pushed the power button on her miniature jetpack. Jimmy, set that thing to the highest setting and melt me a chunk of ceiling. Jimmy, slightly confused, raised the incinerator 256 and carved out a circular chunk of ice. Drellis boosted herself into the air, blasting with the sheet of ice as a shield through several floors of the Ice Sultan's frozen palace. She had almost gotten through to the open sky when she started to lose her grip. Puck shot into the air, his arms outstretched and caught the far end of the ice pile. The two continued to soar upwards, finally crashing through the roof before dropping the mass of frozen water into the nearest balcony. The rest of the flashback, squashed into the newly unminiaturized catship Marvin Three, were parked on the roof. Drala squeezed in, but Puck merely doffed his cap and with an Until next time, my fine friends, may we encounter and overcome the many surprises that await was gone. Molly fired a localized shockwave, collapsing the Frost Palace in on itself before zooming into space toward home. Will the flashback get a break between foes? Will Kriegmeister really show up next? You'll have to wait for next week's episode when Epic Echoes continues with Cry Havoc. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon was Dralis Thornfield, Devin White was Molly Singh, Lynn Nelson was Jill Slaughter, Tongwen Wong was Sarah Keen, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Scape White was Fertress Fuzzbottom, Elijah Weberhan was the Sultan of Ice, Jordan D. White was Dr. Stelloff, Justin Ha was Puck, and Aaron Freakin' Gold was the Penguin. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. Um, we are getting towards the end of the show right now, so I just want to get to our last couple things. Um, first up, we have our, our little song that Scape gets to sing. So, Scape, you want to give us a little number? Absolutely, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Was that a ballad? Uh, no, no, that wasn't really a ballad. Oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, we have a piece of uh, listener mail, so uh, why don't we get to that? Uh, uh, if you have any questions for us or comments for us or, or want to send us some listener mail, please, 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 I cannot stress enough, please do. Um, our email address is castinwax at gmail.com. But we did get one email. And uh, Frank, it's actually, uh, um, hi, <laughs> it's addressed to you. Oh, good. Is it a job offer? Uh, no. All right. Uh, here, here it is. Uh, I'll, I'll read it. Dear Frank, I know it's usually Rory who gets 
the questions, but ah, what the hey, ask him too. I might as well get as many of you to weigh in as possible since I think this is pretty important. You see, there's this girl I'm dating and despite what I tell my mother otherwise, I've actually come to care for this one quite a bit. I wouldn't go so far as to say love or anything, although I definitely want her at my back in the instance of a zombie apocalypse. The thing is that, that Valentine's Day is coming up. Last year, I made her chocolate-covered strawberries, but I don't want to repeat it so that things get stale. All my other friends keep telling me to get her jewelry, but that just doesn't sound right. This is a woman who uses a cup of black coffee to wash down a heaping bowl of epic win every morning. She doesn't wear jewelry. She adorns herself with murder. She likes comic books. She plays video games. If I wanted a woman who needed jewelry to be happy, I would have dated my grandmother. So here's what I was thinking. She likes to read. I'll write a script, maybe something racy, starring her. You know, like maybe there's this hot young school teacher who's really strict, but deep down she's very lonely. And then one day she holds a directionless but well-meaning football quarterback after school for some extra credit that involves whips and candle wax. So what do you think? Is that way too off the mark? I don't know. Maybe I'll just get a card that says, you're awesome, instead. Spooner. Well, thank you for writing to me. Um, here's what I think you should do. Yes, a script sounds fun. Write her a script. Write her a script where, over the course of the script, you dash all of her dreams and destroy any feeling she might have for you. Where you might have been friends before, but by the end of it, she hates you so much that she could kill you with one blow. Uh, Frank, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think that's very Valentine-y. Oh, it's not? You, so you're saying that's not something you do to people that you like or friends of yours? Well, I mean, I think they're more than friends. Right, of course. They're more than friends, but would you even do that to a friend? I, I wouldn't, I thought you, that's the kind of thing friends do, right? Not traditionally, no, but, uh, but it seems like, that seems like a really helpful thing to do. So, you know, figure out a way to convey to her that she's wasting her time on comic books and video games, that, that anybody who spends time doing those things is, is just completely wasting their life. And, uh, you know, because you're helping her. Even though those things bring her joy, you're helping her by destroying the joy in her life, right? Isn't that how it works, Rory, wouldn't you say? No, go ahead, answer, because they said to ask you, too. So that's the kind of advice you tend to give, right? Uh, well, I wouldn't say that... Not for Valentine's Day, perhaps. Oh, that doesn't work for Valentine's Day. No, I, I mean, it might not. No, so you think the sex script maybe is better? Well, but I mean, that's it's certainly better, yes. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with chocolate-covered strawberries on the side of sex. You know. So sex and chocolate is what you're, you're suggesting. Not dream-crushing. Uh, no, not dream-crushing per se. That's, that's funny. That's funny, because my gut just told me if you love someone, you destroy them for their own good. Not, again, not traditionally. Huh. All right. Well, Spooner, you know, you heard my advice and you heard Rory's. So go with whichever one you think is better advice. Then again, I'm not an advice giver, am I? I tend to be a, oh, I don't know, interviewer. Um, well, technically, I'm not an advice giver either. Oh, you're not. So obviously don't listen to him. Listen. Crush your dreams. That's for the best. No, but I, I really wouldn't recommend that. What do you care? You know what's going to happen. Well, yes, but, you know, still. Huh. Still. Whatever. Um... Right, so uh, that was pleasant for everyone involved, I'm sure. Uh, so please, uh, write in to us for much more pleasant answers than that to your questions. Um, castinwax at gmail.com, please. Because we won't crush your dreams if you write in to us. No, no, we won't. We don't do that here. Much. Not much, no. All right, um, so I think I'm going to end the show. Ha, ha, ha. You know, we'll be back next week with more stuff. And uh, at any rate, uh, thank you for listening. Yeah. Yes, yes. No, yes. And um, all right, uh, be seeing you.
episode of Cast in Wax. On guard duty, Mr. Fahrenheit tells us how to address the press corps. You never answer the question you're asked. Never. You answer the question you wish they'd asked. I heard somebody say that one time, and it's totally true. And that doesn't mean you imagine some hot reporter asked you to go home with her or something. On Tractor Fiction, we take an in-depth look at family relationships. I wish you dad instead of mommy. Everything <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like this. I can't help myself. It's got to get your own. I'm sorry, kids. Please forgive me. I need your help. And as February begins in this day in history, we head back into the forest. I see a deer. All this plus a scapy story, and all of it will only be on Waxwork.com. Coming your way, February 8th. Welcome to This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. On February 1st, 1885, John Taylor, the president of the Mormon Church, goes underground to avoid arrest and continue resisting federal demands for reforms within the community of Latter-day Saints. No one will ever catch me, John Taylor, in my flawless deer costume. The fact that it's deer hunting season makes this disguise perfect! Hey, hey, uh, uh, Buck, I see a, I see a deer. I see a deer, but I'm kind of drunk, and I can't tell if it's a deer or a human. Wanna chance it? Oh my yep. god, mm-hmm. that's a 20-point buck! Shoot! Shoot! Wow, that certainly runs like a human. Sacred Lords of Mormon, protect me! No! 
The Mormon Church did die that day with John Taylor, who would have survived if he had only obeyed the simple rule of making sure you wear orange when you're in the forest during hunting season. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But what's that you say? My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History? I'm Gaston Ware. And I can hear you gasping right now and thinking to yourself, if the gods of Mormon are proving that they exist by saying no in that loud special effects voice, why are they not helping their follower and why are they eliminating their own religion from Earth's history? Well, I'll tell you. The fact is that gods actually hate when people have religions about them. They really much prefer people not knowing that they exist. In fact, just before that scene you saw a minute ago, the lords of Mormon were sitting up in their hotel rooms up in heaven going, why can't people just live their own goddamn lives? Why do they always need to bother us? Think for yourself. Take some responsibility. If I want to get involved, I'll get involved when I feel like getting involved. Thank you very much. Uh, I can hear people praying to me right now. God damn those bastards. Ah, here's what I'll do. I'll put it in that one's head that he should dress up like a deer instead of wearing orange in hunting season, which is what you're always supposed to do, obviously, so you don't get shot by other hunters. That way he'll die, and perhaps the whole religion will go with him, because really, I hate that stupid religion. It's just so ridiculous. Even though it's true, of course, because here I am in heaven. It, it's just, it just bothers the crap out of me, so there you are. Soon after the prayer came up, they gave out their bellowing no, and he died dead, forever dead. Once he went to the afterlife, they explained it to him, listen, I just didn't want people, you know, bothering me, but now that you're here, you know, feel free to just stop by if you want to. But if you speak to anybody back home, just tell them just, you know, give up on it. It's stupid. My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax.